Welcome into the Odds and Audibles post-game edition. I'm Matt Pramer, Scope of Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to a game in which the Oregon Ducks have beaten the Washington State Cougars 38-24. to um, Depending on when you bet this game, you either won or you got a push. Uh, by the slimmest of margins, if you won by half a point, I think the game closed at 13 and a half. It was at 14 for most of the game, uh, or most of the week. And all in all, I, I I walked away, and I know it's a 14-point win, but the Ducks were up 21 points with like two minutes to go. They clearly pulled their starters. Washington State kept theirs in. They needed a horrific call with 15 seconds left in the game uh, to get to the two-yard line and eventually score a touchdown. I walk out of this feeling like it wasn't a complete game. It wasn't always pretty. And yet Oregon found a way to run for 306 rushing yards. They beat a really good football team that's given them fits the last six years. And they are two wins away from being in a position where the worst they could do is a New Year's Six Bowl game. Yeah, I, and I think just a couple of things that stood out to me was the resiliency of this team. You know, I think it starts the game with, shoot, Oregon hasn't given up a pass play of more than, I think, 36, yeah. 36, 37 yards all season coming into this. And the very first play from scrimmage for Washington State is initially ruled a 77-yard touchdown. They end up looking at it and, and declaring he's down at the seven. And then the play after that is a forced fumble by Jamal Hill through the end zone. Um, and I just thought that was an example of, hey, the resiliency of sticking with it. And then later on, um, obviously, the, the big moment, in the, and I'm sure we'll talk about this play a little bit more later on, but Anthony Brown is looks like he scores. In fact, the Autzen Stadium scoring chimes, I don't even know what we call that, but like the touchdown sounds go off prematurely because it's ruled a fumble. Um, and Washington State has a convoy out to the 50-yard line. I thought it was really impressive the way, A, Mario Crystal made a point of bringing this up. Chris Hudson brought down the Washington State defensive player to stop it from being a, a, a true 100-yard scoop and score. And then, again, the defense holding them to three points there, even though Washington State got it, I think, first and 10 at the 11, um, to keep them out of the end zone, to force three points there. I think the fact that basically Washington State had the ball in two instances at this of this game – you know, from the 11-yard or in, and only came away with three points. I thought that was really impressive. And again, I agree with you, Matt. This was a more, I think, dominant and impressive performance than the final score would indicate, um, and in part because of how they played in some of those moments. I mean, Oregon dominated the second half. It's as simple as that. Uh, the first quarter, obviously, they get up 14 to nothing. Um, a couple, uh, you know, some unforced errors, a turnover from, from Travis Dye, who fumbled it up the middle. Um, you know, Washington State clawed their way back into it. And, you know, give them credit. They played a good first half. Um, you always kind of knew that this game would be close. That's just how Washington State games are. Um, but, you know, Oregon came out of the gate swinging. And that was, you know, really important. And, Eric, you touched on it, their resiliency, um, you know, especially after that <laughs> second, second play. The second play from scrimmage is a 78-yard touchdown that ultimately gets called back. But still, it was – yeah, it was the makings of a, of a perfect Pac-12 after dark type of game. Um, it was that for some of you who, who care about the over-under and what the final line was, that's for sure. But, yeah, I thought I came away with this game 
really impressed with Oregon. Um, you know, their, their third down defense is still something to improve upon. Um, but I, I really thought that you saw what this defense could become. Um, you know, Washington State's offense is really hard to, to maintain. Uh, it, it always has been. Uh, the run and shoot is a very interesting offensive philosophy. It's different than what Oregon's going to see the rest of the year. Obviously, no other team runs it except for Washington State. So, and to you know be able to to keep them under 400 yards was impressive. Really, they kept them under like 320. Um, the final drive of the game, where backups were in for Oregon, didn't really matter. Washington State had 67 yards. So you take that away from their 371. There you go, 304 math, um, and that's that's a really good defensive performance. Uh, that's two in a row now against two basically completely different teams. One very pass happy, one has no passing offense. And Washington, um, yeah, I, I came away impressed. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau, Brandon Dorless, Popo, all made really big plays. Jason Jones, shout out Jason Jones, made a really big play on his sack. Um, but overall, I was very impressed. Um, I didn't even get to the offense, really, but it was just an impressive performance, in my opinion. The officiating, yet yet again, was bad. And it, <laughs> it didn't necessarily cost Oregon the game, but you could argue the officiating, when, without a doubt, cost Oregon its opportunity at style points. Because the Anthony Brown, we don't know if it was a touchdown or not. It looked like a touchdown. Um, but the problem is, is the officials called a fumble. And then because ESPN sent their D squad top to bottom from play calling to analysis to production, they only had two camera angles. And they couldn't review it. They took seven points off the board for Oregon. Washington State gets three uh tacked on there and at the end of the game they get that late touchdown yeah, you you could really argue that this 38 24 victory should have been more like 45 14 and i hope the committee takes a good look at that because like jared said oregon straight up dominated in the second half and crystal ball came in after the, after the game was over and talked about adjustments, talked about how they needed to, because look, they, they had that 14 point lead. I think Eric, you and I were talking about, wow, this could be like a perfect scenario in a week where some teams played well behind Oregon in the college football playoff rankings, Oregon could come out and finally get that big blowout victory. Um, it obviously didn't happen uh, in true form, but I'm pretty impressed with the second half performance. I'm pretty impressed with the coaching staff to make that decision um, to offensively to run Anthony Brown as much as they did. Um, because I, mean, I understand there are people upset at, at Anthony Brown's play, but I think they're just deep down. They're upset that Anthony Brown's production didn't all come through the air. And instead it's split 50, 50. He goes over a hundred yards rushing. He throws for under, over a hundred yards passing. Uh, and he has two touchdowns combined. Um, if if every one of those yards came through the air, everyone would be ecstatic about Anthony Brown throwing for 240 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I, I was just overly impressed with the adjustments that this staff made first half to second half. This team can run the football. 
and I'm getting to the point where it almost is independent of the opposition and how good the opposing run defense is. I know that Washington State is not a great run defense. I know Washington is not a great run defense. This is consecutive weeks over 300 yards on the ground. And in both games, probably could have had more, um, you know, if certain things play out a little differently. And for those that maybe are critical of the end result, like the three of us made predictions on on Friday and, and Oregon's won by more points than what any of us predicted. Um, you go look at DuckTartar.com in the thread of our predictions. And, and there are a lot of people that were in kind of lockstep with us that were saying probably going to be a one score, maybe a two score game. And that's what it was. Um, and as Matt said earlier, it very easily could have been more. It probably should have been more. The defense, again, talk about the way the offense is able to uh, churn out yards on the ground and dominate and kind of put the opponent in a position where I don't want to say they submit, but where they kind of go, we don't really have the opportunity to stop this. Like we're not capable of stopping just because Oregon is so good at the point of attack on this offensive line. And, and I think, again, another week where you go, boy, this is maybe the best offensive line Mario Cristobal has had, or it's certainly up there. It's producing at a level where you can have that conversation at least. Um, and, and then offensively, yeah, like I, I just am really impressed with the way they're able to finish games the last two weeks. You know, I, and I know, again, there were mistakes made in both games that kind of cost you on the scoreboard. But I hope nobody comes away thinking like, boy, this was just a really disappointing performance because I don't I don't think it was. Um, I don't think there's really I mean, you can sure. I mean, nothing was perfect, um, but a lot of things were really, really good. Um, you know, I, I even think like, OK, you want to talk about Anthony Brown? I thought he was pretty good for the most part. He had some misses, um, maybe a couple of decisions and where he went with the ball weren't great, but he was really good and effective making um, decisions in the read option. Um, a lot more, I think, designed quarterback runs. I thought, oh, that was good. Um, can't really fault the offensive line at all. I thought they were tremendous. And then, again, the defense got beat a couple times over the top on pass plays, but for the most part, I thought did a really good job. And in that second half, if you take away that last drive and then, um, you know, the one – off of the Anthony Brown fumble, like there, there really wasn't anything moving at all. Um, and, and again, this is one of those things where, where I just think, as Jared said, two totally different offensive attacks to to be forced to defend it in consecutive weeks. Impressive with their way, the way I guess that they come up with and, and find solutions. Because if not for that last touchdown, this is consecutive weeks where you hold the opponent below twenty points. Um, and doing that is really difficult in this conference, especially against a Washington State team that shoot was coming in four in a row in conference play. Um, really Oregon's biggest obstacle to win the division. And, and they gave it everything they had. And there was a point in the second half where it was just very clear it wasn't going to be enough. Yeah. Eric, you bring up a point where you talked about, oh, like, like if you take away like that Anthony Brown turnover or it's a touchdown, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, that obviously it's a little nitpicky because it happened. We can't just look at it like that. But if, if there are better cameras, if there are more camera angles, maybe that is an Anthony Brown touchdown. Mm-hmm. If that call is, is a touchdown on the field, it's an Anthony Brown touchdown. So that eliminates one of their drives, like automatically. And again, a little nitpicky, but you know, that, that drive is five plays, 33 yards for a field goal for Washington State, excuse me. Um, that drive eliminated. And this is very similar to how we, we judge the defense against Washington, where you look at Anthony Brown's interception in the first quarter, uh, almost a pick six, and then that turns into a Washington touchdown. That's their only touchdown of the day until the very end of the fourth quarter. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So this is a defense that has been performing really, really well recently. And this is the, I would say, probably the third or fourth game in a row that they played well. Um, Colorado, eh, not great. But 
Still, UCLA, they, UCLA was really good, by the way. Like, UCLA they played really was well really on that good. One. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I was getting, I was including them in that one. Um, but that's yeah, two straight weeks. And I made the point earlier that these are completely different offenses. So you have to learn on the fly. There are players who are still learning on the fly. Um, and I, although I did want to switch gears a little bit to the offense, cause I haven't you know, spoke about them enough. Um, the other point you made, Eric, about how this could be Mario Cristobal's best offensive line. Um, if you told us that at the beginning of the year, let alone who was playing what position, <laughs> right? Um, I don't think any of us would, would buy it. And they're doing this with uh, significant injuries basically every other week to their offensive line. Yep. You know, They just got back Alex Forsyth after him missing a full month due to injury, doing, due to his back injury, which is, which is great. And then what happens? Ryan Watt goes down for three to four weeks. Um, what happened before Ryan Watt goes down for three to four weeks? Jackson Powers Johnson, their third string center or second string left guard or second string right guard, whatever he wants to play, he gets injured and he's out for a couple of weeks. Now he's back now. I don't know if he played. I didn't keep track of that. I don't think he did though. I don't think he did. Um, I think Dawson Jarmilla played most of the backup minutes, but there's another name. This offensive line is still seven to eight deep and constantly rotating. Um, you know, both the, the starting tackles of the year. Now you're starting guards, but again, this is an, another 300 yard rushing performance. And Oregon has good good running backs in Travis Dye and Byron Cardwell. Uh, seven, shout out Seven McGee got a little bit of action in there. Anthony Brown is a good runner as well. But they don't put up those types of numbers. This team doesn't put up this type of number without the help of their offensive line. And if you go and rewatch the game and, and watch on Byron Cardwell's two touchdown runs, you know, those are significant holes that the offensive line is moving. And I touched on this in our game prediction where I thought Byron Cardwell was going to have a good day at the office because Washington State's off or defensive front isn't that big. And Oregon is going to create bigger holes, and Byron as a bigger back is going to have more room to, to run. And he did. And same thing with Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown's a bigger guy running. And you know he had 17 carries for 123 yards. He led the team in rushing. And that's your quarterback. So I thought this was a – Really, really good performance from Oregon all around, and something that you know maybe the committee looks at and and understands how dominant they were, or maybe none of them were up watching, and that's a shame. But uh, it's certainly Oregon put their best foot forward going from here on out. Here's a stat for you about that run game: um, first time since September 3rd to the September 17th of 2016 in which Oregon has now run for 250 yards plus three straight games in a row. They last did it in 2016 against UC Davis, Virginia, and Nebraska. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I, to Eric's point, and, and Jared talked about it as well, it's, this team is putting up offensive numbers on the ground where I never really thought lot, much about is this Mark Cristobal's best offensive line until Eric mentioned it on this on this show? But I think that is certainly something we need to discuss further in detail, maybe when this season is concluded, because they are they are producing at a high level. And as Jared ran through, every single guy, or it seems like every single week, some some player, some key cog of that unit has had to come out um, of the game and not play the, the next week. 
Um, they're averaging six and almost six and a half yards per carry. The the last three games, they're at two ninety seven for an average. Um, I just I think I it doesn't really matter like what Eric said right now of who they're playing. They're going to put up big numbers now. Who they play next week? Utah will be a will be one of those weeks where maybe that question of is this Mario Cristobal's best offensive line could get some answers to because they are going to face one of the best offense uh, one of the best defenses. I think probably the most physical defense outside of Oregon uh, in Utah. But back to this one um, on the flip side, the defensive line. Uh, I I was pretty impressed. I I I was not expecting to see the productivity we saw from the D-line in this game because I didn't think Washington State would give an opportunity. I think everything would be quick. And somehow this defense figured out a way to generate a pass rush to stuff the run outside of the, the counter traps or, or misdirection-type play calls um, that they did on, on third and longs for run games. The defensive line was, was stout, and it was probably one of its better performances this season. I think part of it's you asked how did it happen. I think Kayvon Thibodeau played a pretty big role. I know that's oversimplifying something, but man, was he effective at times. And and the, and again, the stats, exactly. which are, you know, six tackles, two tackles for loss. You go watch that. There, there was a lot of other plays he just totally wrecked, or plays where they Washington State was fortunate to have the right play call because I think there were at least two times I can think of where it was like a draw play where if Delora would have. If Delora would have actually kept it or if it would have been a pass, he would have been on his ass in like two seconds. You know, I mean, it would have been over. I mean, he was so effective and you see the flashes of it. And I think collectively really impressive. Six tackles for loss. Um, Thibodeau has both sacks, but a bunch of other guys in on the tackles for loss. I think Popo Amave had a really nice play up the interior, I think, in the first half. Um, mm-hmm. When Washington State was backed up, um, that just, just stuffed that play. Um, Braden Swinson had a couple nice plays behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and again, Oregon's defense, I thought just there were times where they got a number of times, strangely, uh, they had a hard time setting the edge on like third and nine. Washington State pulled this trick like three times where it was it was like a sweep off right tackle and Oregon just didn't set the edge. And they ended up with 15, 20 yards downfield. And those are sort of deflating plays. But um, overall, like I, I don't have a lot of things I'm going to be critical of. Oregon forces three turnovers, which is huge, you know, in this game. Oregon's not started out the season. We talked about it on the um, prediction pod. I know I wrote about it on the site, but it's a defense that was on fire forcing turnovers. Forced four games, they forced 13. The five after, they forced a combined four. To get three today, I thought was significant. All of them pretty timely. Um, the Jamal Hill one uh, that forces Dolores uh, fumble through the end zone. That's a huge play in terms oh, of flipping yeah. the momentum. From uh, Ron McKinley's leads to a touchdown. Uh, Brian Addison's interception leads to a touchdown. Like all three of those plays were really big. Um, and I think defensively, the thing that's impressive to me is obviously Kayvon Thibodeau is going to make plays. Obviously, Veron McKinley's going to make plays. There's a bunch of other guys that popped and had moments. And it's a weird game where, and I know Jared, you're the one who noticed this in the post game. Noah Sewell, zero tackles. Oregon's zero. leading tackle. Leading tackle doorless, zero tackles. Those are two of the most what five notable players on defense, and for both of them to be goose egged, basically statistically in this game. I know I think Noah had a couple of pass deflections, and Dorless had a quarterback hit or something. But like yeah. for for those guys to just not be a factor statistically, that speaks a lot to this this defense and how well they're playing. So a, a huge kudos to this group. I, I hope 
And I know people get frustrated when they have those two drives at the end of the first half. And those are disappointing outcomes to give up 14 points there after you're up 14, nothing, you feel like you're going to build a big halftime lead and you don't, but like, man, tip of the cap to those guys. They just keep figuring it out. And again, I'm impressed with the resiliency. A couple of those plays that are boom, big momentum flippers. I mentioned them both earlier, both of the, you know, the big touchdown um, by Anthony Brown that gets reversed and the defense stopping them there. And then earlier on in the game, um, with the Dolora fumble, end up going through the end zone. Like I, I just can't help but feel like those are the type of plays championship caliber defenses make, and, and you're seeing this defense do that now multiple weeks in a row, and and really rescuing the offense from some poor plays at time. And again, I thought collectively the offense played pretty well too. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent agree with with all of that. Um, yeah. The, the last two drives for Washington State where they scored a touchdown, I do think. Uh, what was it? I think it was the first drive that would have been significantly different had Troy Franklin come down with that catch down the sideline from Anthony Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, he clearly did not catch it, um, but I was I loved to see it. And Troy was right there. He just didn't grab it, which is fine. It happens. Um, my favorite part about that play is Anthony Brown rolling out due to pressure and just launching it, giving his guy an opportunity, which we haven't seen too often this year. Um, Brown had a couple big strikes today. A couple passes around 20 yards, um, took shots deep to Devin Williams, who I, I don't, I didn't see a replay of it, but looked like there was a lot of contact there. What I took away from that is that ball was basically perfectly placed if Devin Williams had two hands. And it looked like one of his arms was being held back. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I didn't see a replay. But if Devin Williams had two hands available at that time, it was a perfectly placed ball. I don't think it was going for a touchdown because it was draped by a defender, but still it was encouraging to continue to see Anthony Brown take shots down the field. And even, even that, um, you know, he's 17 of 22 in the game. Uh, I don't remember how many passing yards off the top of my head, but 135. Thank you. For some reason I remembered the completions, but I couldn't remember the actual number of yards. So, and that's fine. It was like, what else do you need from them? The Oregon still had a you know a twenty-one point lead at one point. They still dominated this game. They still easily won, and that's all with your quarterback throwing for under one hundred and fifty yards, nearly running for more yards than throwing, and that's all right. If if because we know we have seen against Colorado and against UCLA that Anthony Brown is capable of proving this offense, or excuse me, leading this offense moving forward with his arm rather than his legs. You know, against UCLA, he throws for just under 300 yards. Against Colorado, he throws for just over 300 yards and adds three touchdowns through the air. So this is, I wrote about this in my instant takeaways. This is three straight weeks of Anthony Brown being, or not three straight, three of the last four. Three of the last four weeks of Anthony Brown being really good. And that's huge for Oregon. That's huge for them going forward. That's huge for them going to Utah next week and playing them um it's it seems like things are relatively firing on all cylinders for oregon right now and it probably couldn't come at a better moment how close is oregon playing his best football i think it's close i think they're pretty close Mm -hmm. yeah no i i i mean it's hard to point to things that you're really concerned about um you know and i think the consistency part is the thing that I think frustrates a lot of fans um, to get that 14 point lead to for Washington state to come right back. Um, but this is, 
the second halves they've been playing have been really like just really strong all the way around. You think back to the UCLA game, I know there were some turnovers late that made it a little closer, but they dominated that third quarter. Um, Colorado, the offense wasn't stopped the whole game, and if not for a couple of drives at the end against second-team defense, it's another strong defensive half. Washington was an absolute butt-kicking. This game mm-hmm. kind of resembled the same thing. Um, I think you'd like to see Anthony Brown have – and I know, as Jared said, he did have some success throwing the ball down the field. Uh, Giant Johnson had a nice 20-or-so-yard catch. Um, a nice throw with the game kind of on the line to Chris Hudson, by the way, an 18-yarder. That was pretty big yeah. for Hudson. Um you maybe want to see just a little bit more consistency with Anthony throwing the ball down the field, but like, I don't know. I I, I think again, I, I agree. Like, I don't think they're firing on all cylinders. There's still things to correct. Um, I'd like to see a game where it's maybe every every single aspect is firing on all cylinders for four 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 quarters. Kind of having a hard time speaking. It is one twenty in the morning. Well, um, it's late. It's uh, it's or it's early even. But no, I I I, I agree. I, I think I think the the one thing. That I want to see is just more consistency, um, right? But they kind of have they they basically the thing that's been impressive is they play inconsistently consistency, and then what follows is really impressive dominant play. And I thought we saw that for stretches tonight in ways that really makes me encouraged going forward because I think this is the best team Oregon has played in a really long time this season. Um, I mean, I think Washington State. UCLA, pretty comparable teams. I don't, I, I don't know. Um, they're better than anybody they played since, for sure. And I mean, you might be able to make an argument when Washington State is playing at its best. Like, is this the second or third best team Oregon has played all season? Um, I mean, that, that sort of speaks to the depth of the schedule here. Obviously, it's not better than Ohio State, but like, are they better than Fresno State? And if they're not better than Fresno State, do you think they're better than UCLA? Because I mean, those are probably the best teams Oregon has played, to be real. Um, I think that's a pretty good Washington State team. I agree. It, it is a good Washington State team. It's just, you know, when, when that's the third or fourth best team you've played this year, that's, that's speaks pretty, to, stink. it's pretty speaks, stinky. It speaks to this conference, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really bad, man. That's not a good thing. But, yeah, it was good competition. It's another – It's a. it was a good game to have before Utah. It was clear that Oregon was not looking ahead at Utah. And Utah at, at points against Arizona might have been looking ahead to Oregon because they were in a dogfight with, you know, the lowly now one and nine Arizona team that has their only win against a depleted Cal Bears roster. So it was it was encouraging again. I don't think Oregon's firing on all cylinders, and, and like like Eric said, um, I'd like to see Anthony Brown take more deep shots, um, but he's doing it more than he was, so that is encouraging as well. Um, a couple like on these third and eights, third and nines that Oregon finds mm-hmm. themselves in throwing at two, three yards that really chaps my hive, but <laughs> it's fine. I, I mean, it, it's clearly the play calling and it, it is what it is because I, that's really nitpicky. Um, I guess it's safer than letting Brown try to throw over the middle, but that's, I digress. Um, it, it's. Just, I think the thing that's frustrating, Jared, is isn't it frustrating that it's they throw it so short of the sticks? Where I understand it's not even close. It's like a two yard completion on it's a right. three yard completion on a eleven yard need the game. Yeah, with it, then, with with in man coverage, so he just catches it and get tackled for a gain of two yards, and it's now third and nine. Like Sick. I. 
cool. I mean, I, I, I understand, like, on the Terrence, the, Terrence, the Terrence Ferguson one where it's, like, third and six and he's a yard short yeah, of that's, six. Yeah, that's different. Like, yeah. I, I understand that, but, like, some of these checkdowns are are frustrating. I know that's the fans react very strongly to that. I see that on social media. I see that on Duck Territory. We understand that part. You, I would love to see them maybe challenge the ball down more field or throw the ball downfield and, and challenge the defensive backs. I'd also right. say Anthony Brown's track record of doing that is kind of spotty. So, like, you, know, you can argue, like, you know, you'd love to see it happen, but the moment that's intercepted and goes the other direction, there's a whole lot of retroactive, you know, revisionist history of what they should have done. But I do, I totally get it in terms of, like, it, it's frustrating when it's third and nine and you throw it two yards to Devin Williams or two yards to Spencer Webb and there's a guy draped on him and it's just a complete nothing burger play and you know right. you're punting. You might as well have just ran out the middle. <laughs> you probably would have got more yards. Travis Dye averaged almost five yards a carry, so it literally would have got you more than more than two yards. Cardwell averaged like eleven. Who's a beast? Shout out Byron Cardwell. Uh, who shouted out Oregon's offensive line when he, hey. he cut off the uh, the press conference? A whole lot um, of shout outs today. Let real quick. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's much more deep dive into this one from an from a instant reaction standpoint. Um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but because we've kind of touched on everything outside of injuries, mm-hmm. we should note that there are yeah. a couple injuries. Um, most notably, Johnny Johnson. Uh, the third, uh, he is dealing with an undisclosed injury that Mario Cristobal would not really give any insight into, which if you're unfamiliar with reading Mario Cristobal, it's probably not good um, if, if there's like no update whatsoever. Um, we also saw Seven McGee leave the game on, a, I believe, what, a kickoff coverage um, play? Yeah, yeah. Kickoff. Don't really know much about him, um, but outside of that, it feels pretty, pretty, pretty good. There, there weren't really any major injuries, which at this time of the year, when everyone is nicked up and dealing with something, is probably a good sign. Uh, is is almost like feels almost like a win. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't know what the you know, the issue with Johnny is you hope that's not a season ender or a cur ender for him. He's meant so much to this program, you know, such a veteran presence, a leader, um, a fantastic blocker, um, had a pretty good day, by the way, in terms of receiving, had a couple of nice catches. That would be, that would be tough. Um, I also would say I'm, I'm rather confident in this team's ability to replace him. That's not a slight yeah. on Johnny at all. Cause I, I think very yeah. highly of him, but if there is this position offensively that you feel, maybe okay with a, losing a key guy. And again, okay is not the right word, but you can feel pretty comfortable with what you can do to replace it. It's probably receiver where you can go and insert Troy Franklin maybe into the starting lineup or reshuffle things a little bit. And now Michael Pittman comes back in the starting lineup um, and Jalen Reds in the, you know, you, you can move guys around to, to make up for it. Um, you have bodies. Seven, seven McGee being injured actually strangely feels, I don't want to say bigger, but like that could actually be somewhat important because that just takes away another running back body. And now maybe Trey Benson has to come in the game. Um, Byron Carbo, clearly your number two. And I don't have a whole lot else to talk about tonight, Matt, because uh, it's one thirty in the morning. And like you, I think we've covered things pretty soundly. Um, Agreed. I think just credit to Byron Cardwell. Ran really, really mm-hmm. hard. Continues to be a beast. And, and really feels like not only is he your number two this year, 
how, and a lot of this depends on how things will fall out in the offseason. There's a chance he has a really, really good second year next year. And if both die and Verdell go pro, he could be an all-conference caliber guy and running for 12, 1,500 yards from now, you know, a year from now. So he's showing some things that are really special these last three or four games. Real quick, this is where I wanted to go. Um, just I, I think this Utah game is the pivotal point of the season. I think they make the playoffs if they win. Um, I, I feel very confident. I think this is the game that's most likely a loss if there is one uh, out of Oregon's two remaining regular season games and more than likely it's conference championship game playing as well. Um, just confidence level going in, seeing how Oregon played, seeing how Utah struggled against Utah or against Arizona. Um, and they had injuries. Their star running back did not play in the game, um, which is just true Utah fashion. Best offensive player getting hurt in November, um, which is always a shame. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but I think my first early indication, I'm a, I'm a lot more confident after this weekend than I was going into this weekend that Arizona – or Arizona – that Oregon would win at Utah – this coming Saturday. Here's a question. I feel the same way, Matt. Do we like? Do we? Are we sure Utah's going to be favored in this game? They okay. are two and a half points. It's already out. Okay. Yep. That's ridiculous. That, that I mean, came, came out. out it came out. Finished their game. It did before half. Okay. Well, that I, I'm curious on what that line is going to do because I, I say that because I think Oregon's playing at a really high level. I think Utah has played at a really high level for the most part this month. But I think if you follow the league closely, you kind of have an idea of which team is playing better. Um, Utah dealing with some injuries. I think Oregon's going to be able to run the ball in Utah. We'll talk about that throughout the week. This is a they're actually sixth or seventh in the conference in rushing yards against. Um, I think Oregon can some, have some success there. And I really just feel like, and I know we're not going to do too much Utah talk right now, but I think if Oregon plays a clean game and close to its best game and kind of stays on this trajectory, I feel pretty confident they'll come out of Salt Lake City with a victory. I really do. And that's not they're always. Not pretty, the way but I think they win. Yeah. Yeah, I feel better. I agree, Matt. I feel better about after watching that performance and just how dialed in they looked about not having a – and I wouldn't have a let-up game against Utah anyway because it means so much, but I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about where things are at. I think, that was a, I think that was an impressive win, and again, I'm hoping that those who are involved in the committee to – I hope Oregon doesn't get jumped by Ohio State for beating a Purdue team like that um, when I thought Oregon had a, a pretty darn impressive home showing against Washington State with a lot on the line. Yeah, I feel more confident after this week. Um, Washington State, Eric, like you were saying, they're, like, they're probably the third or fourth best team that they've played this season. It's a, it's a good competitive game. It's a good competitive program. It's a team that had been hitting their stride, winning four of their last five, four straight in the Pac-12. Dominated them. Wasn't like in the first half it was close, but second half just, you know, two different teams, two completely different worlds it seemed like. And that's really good. And I, the – what you hope to see is that level of domination for an entire four quarters against Utah. Um, will it happen? Probably not. It's very hard to do that against any team in college football unless, I don't know, maybe you're playing UMass or UConn. My daily or, excuse me, <laughs> every podcast got to get a, a shout out to those guys. Um, but it's difficult. And Oregon has done a really good job the last few weeks of having a game plan in the second half making adjustments at halftime, coming out and performing and executing at a very high level and not shooting themselves in the foot. And you can look at the, the Anthony Brown fumble as a shooting in the foot. I don't. 
but there was there weren't any really stupid penalties this time around. Um, mm-hmm. That's for a couple a couple weeks in a row now where there's not any overly egregious penalties. Um, I, it was a poorly officiated game at points, and it didn't really hurt Oregon too much. It's just a, another resilient win and, and something that should provide confidence going forward in this team. Utah, uh, the start time for that game will be announced sometime Sunday, if not Monday. Um, and the Utes are in a precarious situation where it's probably better for them long-term bowl-wise if they lose to Oregon uh, in the regular season matchup because then if they meet in the Pac-12 championship game and they beat Oregon – they're in the Rose Bowl, and if they lose to Oregon, they're probably in the Rose Bowl because Oregon goes to the college football playoff. Um, so <laughs> that's a weird that's a weird position to be in uh, if if you're Utah. But nonetheless, uh, stick with us throughout the week as we get ready for that big game uh, in Salt Lake City. Uh, Eric and Jared will be traveling to that one. Um, look for a start time uh, later today on Sunday or Monday when that should get announced. Uh, also on Monday, we'll, we'll probably find out when the Oregon versus Oregon State game is, so uh, keep your eyes glued to that as well. Until we talk to you on Monday for the mailbag, thank you for listening to this post-game edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to there, folks.